I don't think there's things humans do that are more capital intensive than shooting things into outer space. That just doesn't seem to me like a sustainable business model. It's one of those spaces right now, unfortunately, that uh, is maybe turning into a fad. We are obviously in Canada going to see consumer spending drop. We don't have a choice. Okay, what's up, guys? Welcome back. This is episode four of the Beyond the Edge podcast. Missing in action today, Declan, Mr. Fundamentals, but we've got Trend Tracker, Pete Plarchio, and we've got our guest again, Dan Cazell. Thanks, boys, for joining us. Um, let's just kick it right off. want to get into some news here. First thing we're talking about is a meme stock that some of us have loved to hate over the years. AMC um, brings a little bit of joy to my heart to actually see that it's now hit an all-time low. Here's a meme stock I never understood. Uh, if you were somebody who bought this in 20... 21, I guess, you were paying over 300 bucks a share. Stock's at a fraction of that now, rightfully so. Uh, I think people forgot it's a movie theater, <laughs> not a tech company. So I want to start here, guys. Um, Pete, I see a smile on your face. Why don't I pass the mic over to you? Any high-level thoughts on AMC? What do you think of this hitting an all-time low? Well, I think I should maybe put on Mr. Fundamentals hat here and say that it's <laughs> probably easier to assess the success of a movie theater in their future business. However, I will still defer to being a trend tracker. Trends are going against AMC in terms of other than a Reddit rally and another short squeeze. I don't see overall movie theaters ever really coming back like they have. Personally, that's something I actually haven't done uh, post-pandemic. have not visited a movie theater since. It just hasn't been top of mind. So in terms of what they're doing to get people back, I I don't think it's a gold standard in movie theaters. I think there's a great comparable actually here in Canada with Cineplex and what they've done to actually brand themselves more as an entertainment company. Uh, Cineplex has launched the Rec Room, which has been, I think, a huge success for them, expanding to F&B and games, and then actually a uh, Top Golf partnership that will be bringing them to Canada. And in terms of overall trends, we are one tenth the size of the USA. AMC is a very small foothold in Canada, if anything left. Cineplex, I think, has 70 to 80% of the, the market share here. Um, Cineplex theaters gets almost as much interest as AMC and mm-hmm. only being in a country one tenth the size of the United States. So really? I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a, a company that really adapted to consumer trends, probably saw the writing on the wall in terms of streaming um, and what was happening. And I don't think AMC is going that way. However, I mean, their revenue is way up now that people can go back to theaters and they continue to beat earnings. So I think that kind of opens the floor back to you guys for a bigger discussion. Well, Dan, you spent time down in the US. Have you been to AMC? Have you ever seen one of these theaters? Long time ago. You know, they they came out with, uh, you know, pretty attractive, like, food and beverage. Um, It was chill. Like, you'd have, like, a couch. But to Pete's point, I think the way that Cineplex has adopted their business model, and I think what we're seeing a lot, I was in Miami last year. There's this movie theater called, like, IPix. That's the model that everybody is trying to follow. And IPix is really sick because it's, like, you literally are in, like, a couch or a bed. And you could order food with 
uh, a butler type of style. I don't know what the actual word is, but you could literally have there's like a there's a there's a tablet at your table while you're watching the movie. You can order food and like they, they'll just bring it to you. I think that's where that's evolving. It's going to become more of like, hey, what am I getting for a bang for my buck? The problem is prices have gone up so high that like, okay, people are not going to spend you know, 23 to $30 on a movie ticket. If there's no actual like comfort value or recliner, there's a movie theater down my street, small business, but they've adapted a recliner in the movie theater. So you can actually lie down and just like, that's where that business model is going. Again, I'm not an expert in this field, but I think you just have to be a movie connoisseur, uh, especially last year. Like I, I saw Oppenheimer and I saw, um, what, there was another movie I saw, I forget the name, it was really popular at the time, but movie theaters have adapted and that's where this is going. And it just so happens that that small movie theater in Miami was probably ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that makes sense. I'll echo the thoughts on Rec Room. I'm not sure if AMC has any kind of initiative like that, but you know, I wonder like the CEO of AMC was saying that each guest that comes through is now paying 30% more I forget how he worded it. Contribution to revenue was 30% higher per guest, which is no surprise. Ticket prices have gone way up. Um, maybe they're pushing more upgrades uh, as well for the customers. But like that just doesn't seem to me like a sustainable business model. Good for them. For Revenue actually is quite a bit higher in spite of the fact that since 2019, number of people attending their theaters is down 16%. So they've actually boosted revenue even in spite of a declining business model. It just makes you wonder what's the future of uh, theaters? Just like you said, I think you guys nailed it. I just don't see that. Yeah, I've, I saw two movies. You know, I saw Oppenheimer. I saw Mission Impossible. Obvious mm -hmm. theater movies. I loved it. But I'm sitting in there. These are popular movies. And the theater was half full. Mm -hmm. So how do you carry such a gigantic fixed cost? Like if you look at their operating, um, like their expenses, their rent is giant. Their The cost they have to pay for the films is giant. Um, their operating expenses in general are massive. So it just chews through revenue so quickly that you'd have to show me some wildly exciting turnaround plan. I think Cineplex, just like you guys said, I actually didn't know the Top Golf thing. That's really cool. I think that's so smart. Um, unless you have some massive idea like that, I just don't see where a movie theater business gets exciting, especially when you're carrying almost $5 billion of debt. Yeah. Um, in with, a, with only seven opportune time, <laughs> seven hundred million cash, I think, on their balance sheet too, right? So it's like <laughs> right. you got a big liability there. You got a service, and, and how do you like where where are you paying that down? So they're actually issuing stock to cover liabilities. So if you're an investor, you can guarantee you're getting diluted because. Yeah. To give them credit, they've actually their their financials actually have improved. Like they squeaked out a tiny profit. I think it was twelve million dollars last quarter. But I'm sorry, you're doing one point five billion dollar revenue and you squeeze out twelve million dollars profit to slowly start paying down your five billion dollars debt. Why remind me again, why was this a mean stock meme stock? <laughs> like what was the yeah. excitement around this thing? Uh squeezing, squeezing a That was it. Squeeze. That was it. That was it. It was a it was a huge um short squeeze. And oh there God. were there were some intelligent guys that understood the game and got on Reddit and rallied the forces and and really took took down some some big players in in the institutional world. So I think that was Crazy. the impressive part. I was following along some of the threads while it was happening, and the commentary was absolutely hilarious. Um, <laughs> how they were doing things to boost the stock up, along with GameStop. Um, and guys were being legit. They were sharing screenshots of them holding 
Um, hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting. Obviously, some people were left holding the bag. Some people obviously bought on top. But I don't. See, other than something like that, I don't. I don't see it with AMC. Um, it unless there is something that they are going to move into beyond a brick and mortar theater market. How does a shrinking market work with five billion on debt? Like I would say, mm -hmm. yeah, come in potentially right size the business. That would be a good plan. That doesn't help them servicing debt. I don't think any shareholders want to hear about right sizing. And the, the market is shrinking and the consumer trends that I'm a firm believer in have fundamentally changed forever. I do mm -hmm. think Dan brought up a good point. Something I didn't bring up about Cineplex was their innovation moving into VIP theaters as an early adopter was huge. I think mm -hmm. when you were thinking of as you got a little bit older, the idea of not being able to reserve a seat was crazy going in 30, 40 minutes. And then the production companies themselves aren't releasing movies to theaters like they used to they have to be these blockbusters to kind of go into mm -hmm. theaters and yeah things that i was thinking of in the past couple of years that would have got me out to a theater uh top gun yeah, oppenheimer yeah. Mm -hmm. you know oppenheimer was certainly something i'd actually wanted to go out and see it didn't work out but that would have brought Barbie. me there uh yep that's 100 <laughs> on my list uh 10 yeah really it was more, more 10, but yeah. <laughs> um but yeah that would have definitely got me out there so yeah I think um, I, I don't see it. I don't see it like other than uh, going past where it's at now. The least growthy stock that was treated like a, a meme stock. I'll never understand why, but we had to talk about it. It's AMC. It was all over Reddit in the in the heydays. Um, but I don't really want to spend much more time on it. I mean, Dan, do you have any final thoughts on that, or can we just jump ahead to a little uh, Kathy Woods uh, discussion? I, 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 I would just I would just add one thing. This could be a good trade. Um, because the stock from a technical side is completely destroyed. And over the last four or five months, there's been accumulation. This is not an investment. If you want to play this, wait for the opportunity. I think there's a good trade here that could be made here because there are a bunch of gaps on the chart. So if you do see AMC <laughs> one morning at $20, that's probably another pump You might want to take your money out of there at that point. I'm, I'm glad you took the advantage of Declan not being on the pod this week to, to sneak that in there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Would Declan love a movie theater? Ah, I could see it. I could see it. But he then might again, still go. He might still go. Might go on yeah. date night. <laughs> what, what, what would Mr. Fundamental say? Can we, we just tap him in here? Maybe, uh, okay, we see the debt on the balance sheet. We know he wouldn't like that. Improvement in fundamentals? I'd say that would be a positive. I don't see any kind of near-term massive liquidity crisis they are net you know they are making cash flow they their interest rates are probably not going to move too much because i would just assume a lot of them are locked in mm -hmm. but it's just a huge fixed cost huge debt low growth total addressable market is shrinking no dividend Forget amc yeah yeah no amc no, no chance we don't like you yeah yeah maybe a trade dan we'll come maybe back and see what see what happens there um, okay, Kathy Wood, let's move on to the shiny stuff. We're going to talk about Rocket Lab. So the news that Rocket Lab landed a gigantic mystery U.S. government contract for nearly $500 million, that is well known. That's not brand new. I think that was about, I want to say, two, three weeks ago. Um, Kathy Wood started buying more. I saw a little alert this week. I'm trying to get a strong view on Rocket Lab. I'll give them the credit that it seems like one of those stocks that is clearly showing traction. Um, U.S. government 
if we know anything about government um, procurement, they don't just give away contracts. It's a very long, lengthy process. The Space Force budget is increasing significantly. So I got to say, from a total addressable market point of view, I like that. From their um, relationship status with the government, they clearly have it. I like that. They have many successful launches. But you look at the stock chart, and it just absolutely rallied into July and then cratered almost 50%. And I'm reading press releases, and I can't find anything that's like an obvious reason for it to fall. Maybe it was just the summer blues. Like we saw a lot of pressure on certain growth, growth risky assets over the summer. So I don't know. Space overall, I'm bullish on. Do you guys have a view? Either of you have a view on Rocket Lab? We can just talk about space if you prefer that too as an investment you know, p potential. Well, I, I think anytime you're able to get a government contract, I think you're moving into a direction that has the potential to be a totally new market. I think space travel is maybe 10, maybe less than 10 years away now uh, because of all these developments. Um, so I don't know much about it. This is kind of like those first things. I, Kevin, to your point, I am bullish on space travel. I think that'll probably be exclusively available for people that have high net worths because, you know, a cost to go to space is probably going to be a fortune. But there's also some, I'll tie in some geopolitics into here too, because, you know, China's been trying to get to space. Russia's been active. Saudis are starting to get active too. Like this is a race to who can get to Mars potentially. And again, I'm speculating here, but like, mm -hmm. this is what it feels like, at least on my side from ARC. I mean, we'll see. Kathy Wood is Kathy Wood, right? Yeah, I think in, in space in general as a, as a business, it's interesting uh, a few different ways. I mean, yeah, the Rocket Lab was interesting. Kathy Wood started buying in as a SPAC in 2022. Don't, don't personally always love SPAC investments myself, but the business of space is certainly something that's very interesting. And I think it's far beyond a uh, travel type play. There's a reason that we see two, three of the wealthiest people in the world really vocal about space exploration and really vocal about this race towards Mars. I mean, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos could be doing anything. Uh, Jeff was just on a podcast where he spoke at length about his space exploration and what it means to him and something that he was kind of always interested in, which actually uh, took me by surprise. And, you know, what is the total value of, of those programs? And I think the thing that is interesting, yeah, for sure, the government contracts, because I think the U.S. government has made um, it pretty clear that NASA isn't the way that they're going about it. And this is going to be contracts to private companies that can worry about their own profit centers. And they would rather just hand out contracts than continue to build this themselves. <clears throat> yep, that's what it looks like. Um the, the race to Mars, I can't say I ever really, I don't totally understand that. Maybe from like a societal evolution standpoint to be truly multi-planetary. There's some ex level of excitement in that and interest. From a private corporation, I don't get it yet. Um, there's lots of things I do understand, like going to the moon. You know, that's obviously a big, getting back to the moon and more importantly, you know, establishing a permanent moon base, having commercial operations, you know, for example, on the other side, the dark side of the moon that we never see. Um, as far as I understand, I think China's already landed on the other side and that's where they expect, no, they know that there is ice and they can, they can basically take that and separate the hydrogen and oxygen and use that as fuel solution for further planetary exploration. That's cool as hell. Um, so I can I can understand that how Rocket Labs and these specific companies play into that. 
I couldn't tell you. Remains to be seen. Just the fact that there's a mystery $500 million contract. I mean, <laughs> that's got to make you a little bit curious, though. I think we, we live in a world right now where they've slowly started releasing information about um, UFOs being a lot more real than we may have ever had. And they've kind of done it in a very government type way where the White House will slowly release things and it hasn't been big news. So maybe that's a mystery voice. By the way, well, they're, aliens. They're, try, they're trying to they're trying to program people to be adept to seeing aliens when they do start coming out of the labs. Wild. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, we we told you it was real. Yeah, it's coming, guys. Oh, Twenty thirty. Well, Here we go. Guess, yeah. Holy. As a business, my only concern is I can't think of things that are necessarily more expensive at first than to launch a space program. No I don't doubt. think there's things humans do that are more capital intensive than shooting things into outer space. Um, I think if you ever get a chance, you can kind of read Elon's story into it. Mm -hmm. This guy, he was down to his last launch and he was yeah. personally financing a lot of this to kind of get that out there. And every time you see a rocket blow up, you are literally burning money. So I think that was something to kind of take into consideration yeah he talks yeah, he talks about Excellent it in that book, book. yeah By ashley vance's so, book is amazing it literally goes yeah. over that story wow yeah so it was pretty crazy that he was kind of down to his last launch um and he wasn't the elon back then that could probably tap on a few banks and you know buy a very large social media platform quite easily so uh, he, cool like 40 you know, billion dollars <laughs> yeah exactly so i think um you know I don't you ha I think when you're looking at these space programs maybe if you're going to jump up but it is incredibly capital intensive. I think they're going to rely a lot on some of these government contracts and you know um really sky's the limit on on what the business case looks like the, for this. Sky's the limit. Pun intended. I, well, like look at to your point Pete, I'm looking at their income statement right now and you know good for them. They've increased revenue pretty significantly. 2020 they're doing 35 million this is for the year 2020. 2022 is up to 210 million. I can only assume this latest contract that's gonna, I don't know how the 500 million is divided. It seemed like it was a two or three year contract, but we can agree that's meaningful. But then you look at the cost of revenue. It's, I, I quick math here, 80, 90% of that disappears immediately. So yeah. how do you make space travel cheap enough? I mean, I'll give them credit. They're going the right direction. They certainly do seem to be trending the right direction, but there's no way that business, it's its not like the cost of training a large language model that's going to drop by 90% in a couple of years. I can't imagine the cost of launch is going to decrease similarly. Uh, if somebody's watching disagrees, please <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. I, I'd love to learn. I'd be very curious. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. I'm sure there's, I don't I, know I, if they're going more vertically integrated where they can make things cheaper, go for 10. I, I, think, I think there's a mining component now. Because there's a lot of murmurs now if you can go to the moon and start mining on the moon or if you can get to Mars and start mining, you know, there, great. Like, that is, like, the big vision because, you know, the whole conundrum of, like, oh, gold is so scarce. It's like, well, if you find a ton of gold on the moon, does what's the value? So, again, I'm thinking, like, crazy long-term type of vision, but that's definitely something that mm -hmm. I, I think I think not a lot of people are talking about is, like, look, that could potentially, you know, Tesla starts mining rocks on the moon for lithium and they find something there. Great. You have your vertical integration. I know it's, 
easier said than done, mm-hmm. of course. Well, actually, you know what that reminds me of? So for one thing, I'm we're well aware of uh, gathering hydrogen from the moon for fuel. But in addition, I've heard of people, I have no idea how far along this is, but landing, um, clearly not a spaceship, but some kind of mi- space-bound mining apparatus on asteroids <laughs> and mining them for rare earths and things of that nature. Like, I don't know how logistically that works. I um, saw it on Armageddon. I'm sure it's exactly like that. They made <laughs> yeah, a movie about it. Great like, movie. I think you just, I don't know, you guess. Based on a true uh, story. <laughs> yeah, I think the move is rather than getting astronauts to go do all this, you actually go get a bunch of like miners and just teach them how to go to space rather than the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's clearly all kinds of commercial applications, even manufacturing in outer space because the gravity, uh, the lack of gravity, apparently it can bring down costs on heavy manufacturing. Like there's just so many interesting, interesting uh, things. Uh, Pete, you invested in Phantom Aerospace. Dan, are you familiar with, with that company? Is that a new name for you? I heard of Phantom the Token, but I think that's totally different. I'm talking about crypt- crypto right now. This is so. a manufacturer of rockets and satellites down in the U.S., southern U.S. I've, name sounds familiar, but go ahead, uh, Pete. What's the, what's the pitch? <laughs> yeah, again, one of those private companies. I'm going to put a, you know, a bit of a disclaimer. This was a 2021 deal that came across my way. And I don't know, there probably wasn't a deal I didn't like in 2021. Um, Some have aged poorly, but this one is actually going on the side of pleasantly well, in a sense, the updates that we're getting, Kev, you're you're an investor as well. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the shareholder updates, every time like one comes through, I kind of hold my breath, uh, just given the current landscape in in private companies right now. Uh, A lot of people, have had to do down rounds. A lot of people have had to do significant down rounds. A lot of people haven't closed on anything. There's been things up here in the small caps that will open their books and not raise a cent. So I think I'm just overall pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. when I get these shareholder updates. So one, this thing that's still in business and two, they're actually making progress uh, as, as a business and getting you know contracts sent their way. And then three on the capital side of things, raising money at, you know, at, at increasing valuations, albeit small. Kev, what are, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, you said it right. Like I literally, anytime I see shareholder updates from our, my private companies, my I you know clench my cheeks and hold my breath. And in this case, yeah, I think they, I believe the status is that they're partly through a f- somewhat significant capital raise. Um, with that said, at about a twenty percent premium. So, if it was, you know, in line with previous valuations or even slightly down. I would be I would have considered that a win given the fact that like you said Pete 2021 was a different time. <laughs> we liked everything and this was just perfect timing. They raised a bunch of money. I definitely expected this to be a down round and it wasn't. About 20% up. So that's as big of a win as you can expect and I sent the sent the update to my friend. I have a friend at NASA. Uh, who understands this stuff far better than I did. And he basically translated it as the progress being actually like really uh, meaningful. So good for them. Good for Phantom. Uh, Would love to see that go public at some point, but we'll see. I'm going to try really hard to see if I can get someone from the team onto this podcast. That would be wicked. Yeah. Um, Jim Cantrell, big reason I invested. He was basically, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was SpaceX guy number two, like Elon and then Jim. Jim broke away to start Phantom that in itself was hugely appealing to me. And I'll, I'll admit that that was a big reason that I, I did invest, whether or not that's a good reason. <laughs> uh, they, I believe, yeah, he was X SpaceX and I'm not sure exactly what number, 
but I also like your subtle flex of friend at NASA, Kev. That's yeah, a, you like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good to have friends that are more intelligent uh, to get the get that intel. Um, we probably should dedicate a whole podcast to space. Now is not that podcast. Um, any final views on either Rocket Lab space investment before I move on to the next topic? To the moon. <laughs> Literally. <Excellent. laughs> to the moon. <laughs> yeah, that's just begging for memes. <laughs> um, okay, let's move it on. This last, next, next one is related to, I believe it's U.S. job data. Monthly job openings hit lowest level since 2021. So that can be a bit of a tongue twister if you don't think that, think that through clearly. But number of jobs available is down equals bad. There are not as many job opportunities as there used to be. I think that's a sign of the economy. Um, some say we could be in a recession right now. Obviously, by the time the data is reported, that's it's you know it's a lagging indicator. The data is already you know months in the past. But I think this is just another thing showing that, in spite of the fact that the economy does not seem too bad, seems things seem to be churning along. Uh, but we're seeing reports that kind of this cash hoard that consumers had stockpiled over COVID seems to be dwindling. Job prospects do seem to be dwindling a little bit. Inflation, albeit, is slowing down. It has already, you know, slowing down from a significantly high point. So I think there's a lot of things pointing to the consumer maybe not being quite as healthy as we expected. Where this goes remains to be seen. You know, Pete, I know you're you're very into the kind of economic side of things. Do you have any views on how the consumer's doing right now and how that may impact the market? Oh, we have a, a tale of two economies, I think, going into 2024. We have a U.S. economy just with the way that their mortgages are set up is going to go into 2024 very differently. We are mm -hmm. about to get into a serious renewal side of things where the average consumer's biggest expense is, is their household mortgage payment. And that's a can go up anywhere from 20 to 40% for people starting now. Wow. So I think the American economy where people can lock in for 30 years is going to be a lot more resilient. And we are obviously in Canada going to see consumer spending drop. We don't have a choice. Um, that's it. And I mean, I think it's uh, been a game of chicken a little bit here in terms of what's going to happen um, with our central bank in Canada, with our big five banks, how long the delay is going to be from them to actually potentially see rates drop, bond yields are dropping, but fixed rates aren't dropping as much. So those are kind of, you know, some of the initial spending side of things. So I think the U.S. economy is going to be a lot more resilient than Canada. And then in terms of this news, um, as a business owner, this is actually good news to a lot of business owners. The labor market was incredibly hot. All that money that got pumped into the economy created businesses or created funding for businesses where people were hiring like crazy and you had to cater to a lot of employees um, desires to get them. And one of those desires is a lot more pay or compensation in other ways, which was making it more expensive to run your business. I'm personally seeing um, salaries come back in line. Um, a lot of what people's requests are asking for because there's not as many job postings, you know, I think when there was job postings, going up like crazy, an employee could look at you and be like, well, that's fine. I'll leave tomorrow and get 10 offers. So I think uh, business owners uh, across the board are seeing this as fairly good news. And, you know, funny that I think, you know, Kevin, 
you and I chatted on this topic just a, a little bit before as well. Funny to see these types of things be good for the market because, yeah. you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of a little bit counterintuitive. But th I think this is good news for, for the market itself that things are, are balancing and finding their way on what's, you know, quickly becoming a bit of a, a five year cycle as, you know, some of this stuff started in 2019 and, you know, we're going into 2024. It can be it can be funny seeing how yeah bad news can be good at times where the market looks so far out that you see something it's not obvious what makes the stock market go up or down like uh, earnings could come in weak and that could signal to the market okay well then the Fed's probably going to have to lower interest rates which therefore will be good for the uh, stock market for reasons we've covered in the past and then we're looking so far out that the stock market starts to rally so bad news is good. But the, you know, at times, and yeah. it seems like we see a little bit of that here and there still. Uh, I, I was just going to add, because Pete, I, I echo your statement. Um, I think Canada is actually much worse off than the U.S. Um, reason being is twofold. I think going into this year, um, if we do have some form of a hard landing, I'm not predicting that. It's just I'm just throwing this out on the table. But if we do have... A total reset there it wouldn't surprise me and the reason for that is because i think taxes in canada are going up yields have slowly started going back up again so that's another thing what does the bank of canada do what does the fed do that's obviously tied to the jobs market as well um but i think canada is in a much worse position than they were uh in 2008 when the u.s had their whole reset you know mortgage-backed securities, that whole crisis that unraveled. Canada was pretty safe at the time. It's not the same market now, especially with housing prices the way they are. And I think, you know, markets like Vancouver, Toronto, um, they're all bubbly. Montreal is slowly starting to get into some form of a bubble territory, but it's not quite there yet. So again, this is not a prediction, but just something to keep in the back of your mind. Like, you're right, there are two different kind of stories playing out here. Um, the other thing that I think that jobs report probably omitted was how many people were working two or three full-time or part-time jobs, right? They could say, hey, the economy's mm -hmm. fully employed, right? Everyone's working, but it's like, wait, is Sally, you know, who's been in the workforce for 20 odd something years, she's got to work three or two jobs just to get by to keep up with spending. So again, I feel like some of this data is leaving that part out. We'll have to see. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with rates, everyone's saying, well, interest rates are going to come down in March, April. Um, watching the 10-year and the two-year today on the U.S. side, there was a little bump today. So I, don't, I think there, really? we might have to be a little bit more patient. Mm -hmm. Another thing sometimes that's left out is like the labor participation rate. Um, how many people are simply giving up on finding jobs, moving back in with mom and dad? I don't know if that's a huge cause for concern now. I know it was at one point in the past, but... You know, it's it's just another way you can skew labor market data. Uh, in this particular case, I actually don't know what the participation rate is. I'd be curious. I think in Canada, it's around 66. In the U.S., I'm okay. trying to find that number. But go ahead, Pete. I think you wanted to, to say something. No, no. I think uh, you both brought up some, some really good points. And yeah, I think, Dan, we couldn't really uh, agree more. I think Canada's in a very difficult spot, especially if some of these property values start decreasing, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot tied up in them for sure. There's, um, do I think it's an 08 type bubble? No, I don't. I think Canada has always been a little bit, you know, fiscal, a little bit more fiscally responsible, but do we 
get into a point where if property values drop enough, did people lose all equity in their houses? People I've seen, I think we've maybe seen a few headlines of people walking away from, you know, some pre-developments they bought that they can't close on and they're selling those at a potential loss just to kind of get away from all of those things. I've, uh, I'm based in Toronto. I've seen this market go crazy since 2015. I have never seen um, so many listings available, so many really? vacant listings, which is actually the most interesting part that you could just walk in places. Um, if you're thinking, you know, 2019 when things were really hot, um, I, I sold one of my condos at um, on an offer date. So that's what was happening that you just, you, you sold the condo in a week. You listed it, a bunch of people came and saw it, and you said, these are the days I'm, you know, accepting offers and you went to the highest bidder. Yeah. Um, the liquidity on that real estate is insane to think about now that things are sitting on the market for months and months. So it's, mm -hmm. it is a buyer's market in a sense, which I don't think is the worst thing for, for a country to have some balance. I'm just worried about um, the loans against all these properties and their valuations and what people borrowed against them and HELOCs mm -hmm. and, you know, how much debt is tied into it. And, you know, I think when we think of the the major banks in Canada, that's really also a very much a backbone of our economy mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Well, yeah, you're seeing the consumer, uh, you know, the cost of living, no matter how you slice it, has gone way up in Canada. Rents here in Vancouver have gone through the roof over the last couple of years. Um, obviously, the interest you're paying on your mortgage has gone up significantly. You're seeing some consumers with negative amortization rates. Actually, Pete, you're the one who opened my eyes to that. Pretty scary concept. Our savings have dwindled like crazy. Job prospects are definitely not as bright as they once were. Um, and then we're in a country that doesn't seem to be as business oriented as perhaps we were in the past. However, the one bright spot is that in men's bathrooms, we do have tampons now. So that's good news. That's excellent. <laughs> I was waiting I for a bit a of a curveball. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because everyone's like, oh, Canadians are so nice and friendly. And now, I don't know, Pete, Pete, Pete brought up a good point though it's like your your biggest expense is your 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 mortgage i'd say your bigger expense is your tax bill at the end of the year which yeah. unfortunately in canada we just get annihilated roasted i think we are exceptionally great at finding ways to tax people in this country <laughs> in in so many different ways and i think i'm you know i think the average Canadian is paying a lot more attention to these things than five years ago. If you had these conversations 100%. in 2019, things were a little bit more hunky-dory. And I'm having a lot more of these conversations of kind of what's going on in Canada. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. And we're not. There was a, a, a letter from our Chamber of Commerce to our government saying the world is not taking us seriously mm -hmm. right now from, from a business standpoint. And that's because our policies are making it really hard. I almost feel like as an entrepreneur right now, it's this feeling like, oh, if you can make it in Canada, you could make it anywhere because how hard they're, they're making it on entrepreneurs here say. from, yeah, from taxing you left, right and center. Um, you know, our, our overall uh, workforce isn't as productive as the United States. So you kind of have those challenges. And, you know, I, I feel, let's say for a lot of our workforce, because maybe you're stressed out about how much you have to stretch a dollar or potentially get a side hustle or do these things just to get by. So I think, you know, then then you have to think of the longer term prospects of brain drain that people are just going to be like, there's jobs south of me with nicer weather. I'm gone. You know, Kev, you've spent a lot of time in Miami. Yeah. And and I see it like, firsthand down there. They do not take us as seriously as they once did. And nope. speaking of brain drain, you know, we had e both Elon and Chamath 
were uh, originally had immigrated to Canada before we lost them to Silicon Valley. That is true. Yeah. Elon, Elon came to Montreal right down the street. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's... Was Chimath in Montreal too? I can't recall. No, I don't I, Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. No. But um, no, I, I okay. echo that statement. I mean, a lot of the conversations that we're having here as well. Quebec is also one of the higher taxed provinces, especially when you're making north of 120, 150. They start coming after you pretty hard. And we have to file two different tax returns. Right, I think the rest of the country, it's a, it's just one, and then you integrate it into both. Well, we have to file two, so it creates even more chaos. And a lot of people are leaving here, especially a lot of English people. So we'll we'll see what happens in Canada. That's all tied back to the labor market and discretionary spending at the end of the day. Well, I would love to continue our harp on Canada, but perhaps we come back to that another time. Um, there is one more section I wanted to do before we wrap this up, and it's this maybe may a little bittersweet. Um, I want to talk about plant-based stocks. Now, what we do is we've had trend spotting discussions before, where last time we discussed AI as being the very clear breakout. Um, let's talk about plant-based stocks. Let's rewind back to, I guess, what, 2020, 2021, when it was the heyday, and then discuss what's happened since then. So as a recap for anybody who perhaps wasn't as familiar, there was a point in time where Beyond Meat was probably quite literally the only publicly traded vegan stock. Earnings were looking good. Every fast food chain on planet Earth seemed to be rolling out Beyond Meat, uh, well, like their their incorporation of Beyond Meat into some of their products. Then we were very public about the Very Good Food Company. That stock exploded in 2021. It was the top performing IPO in the world across exchanges. So very bold statement, but very true statement. Um, and subsequent to that, it's been nothing short of a nightmare for the whole sector. Uh, Beyond Meat is now purely in penny stock territory, so it's come way down. And I think you could say that same story to virtually any other high-flying plant-based stock. So I want to first kick this off with Trend Tracker. You know, when you look at this, there was a point in time where we were looking at charts of plant-based food stocks doing this, and you could pretty much map the the Google Trends data showing something similar. So what did you see back then? What have you seen since then, Pete? Let's kind of kick it off there. Oh, I mean, yeah. So if we were thinking around 2019 to 2020, um, there was a lot of things contributing to a boom of plant base. And what we are seeing now is that trend is gone, guys. It is over. Uh, people are not doing that. The overall consumer intent is not going that way. If I'm looking at it, I'm going to put this in fad territory. Uh, I think people experimented, um, and I just don't think it's something people stuck to. Uh, we saw, I've seen in Toronto, we saw a lot of plant-based, almost fine dining-ish places open and close. Uh, we saw a lot of people try to jump into this, whether it was through CPGs or something along those lines. Um, that's not it. What's shocking, the trend now that is actually five times more searched than plant-based diet is the carnivore diet, guys. <laughs> So, wow. I mean, humans were, were a funny bunch and we are oh we went God. from uh, soy to beef. And, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting trend to watch because uh, interesting carnivore diet actually exceeded right now the peak of plant-based diets. And we saw really? kind of what had it. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. I think plant-based kind of hit a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, mm -hmm. You had uh, a Netflix, you know, doc come out right as we're going into a bit of a, 
you know, a time where everyone was really worried about their immune health and what mm -hmm. was going on there. And at a time where people could sit at home and read and order, you know, and have to order some food online. And, you know, some of these newer plant-based companies that were coming out had a much easier time adopting going into an online experience than in a dated company that would have had to change tons of infrastructure and, you know, ERP systems and things getting people. So there was this, and then the the fact that the stock market was absolutely ripping. Yeah. So all those things happening at once was a bit of a perfect storm. So the trend is going the other way. I don't think it's coming back. I think it kind of peaked on that side. Um, but what is interesting is definitely this carnivore diet. And I don't, wouldn't say go out and buy every you know company that sells beef or something along those lines, but I think there might be an interesting play if we can find and investigate some companies that are more on the grass-fed side of things um, that are leveraging a higher quality or happier cow. That is kind of probably what people in the carver, carnivore diet are looking for. And the fact that people are actually a little bit more interested in um, the whole cow itself all of a sudden you're seeing things like liver and kidney and these things being uh, popular items that all of a sudden these companies could be making more money off of their products. So mm -hmm. give me my red meat. I've never believed in beyond Meat. Uh, the day it went public, I got people asking me, are you going to buy it? Are you going to do this? I, I, I never believed in it. Um, I tried the product and then as I was eating it, I'm like, this tastes really good, but it's really artificial. Um, and then when you look mm. at the actual ingredients, you're just like, oh my God, what did they put into here? So mm -hmm. the day, and I remember the day I saw those ingredients, I said, I'm never touching or buying this stuff ever again, right? So um, it's one of those spaces right now, unfortunately, that uh, is maybe turning into a fad um, because of the way you know it was executed, uh, demand is decreasing. Um, and there's a lot of studies now coming out with, you know, the ingredients. If you take too much intake of that stuff, you actually increase your chances of getting some kind of disease and it actually reduces, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I am just reading some, some articles about this stuff. Like the, the, the psychology of the consumer now is like, wait, I don't want to eat fake stuff. I want to eat real things. And the red meat carnivore diet is... It's definitely popular in the alpha male community, right? Everyone's just talking about that. Go do your workout, cook a steak, have a little, you know, uh, put some butter and, 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 and some sauce on it, whatever it is that you put on it. But I just, I never believed in it. And, um, you know, here we are five or th four years later and the stock's well below its IPO price. I mean, I was a definite advocate for a while there, and it's not like I've turned against plant-based because I think there's enough research, there's enough literature out there to show that if you do eat like a whole foods plant-based diet mm -hmm. with adequate protein, you're probably going to be pretty healthy. And I don't think anyone would be shocked to hear if you eat beans, rice, vegetables, you're probably going to be okay, probably decently healthy. And if you add a little bit of meat to that, lean meats, it's probably even a little bit better still. I think people just go love to go from the extremes looking for some kind of shortcut <laughs> to success. And... It, it blew my mind in the time because very good food company did exceptionally well. Um, I've got a whole video about that on the channel about how I made a lot of money on that tr as a trade. Um, and then probably after that, it opened the floodgates for <laughs> one, two, three hundred plant-based nothing companies that had a product or two were convinced by promoters to go public and have now just been absolutely railed. So a few of these that I look at 
there's opportunities. If you're going to buy some of these stocks, let's say penny stocks specifically, I'd say there's some you could accumulate just for the value of being part of the shell, knowing that it's going to eventually go flop and be used for a reverse takeover of probably an AI company or a space company, yeah. if we're being honest here. Um, or perhaps after somebody watching this podcast, maybe they found some carnivore diet angle. I don't know how you'd flip that into a public company, but believe it. Just leave it to Vancouver promoters and they'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> they'll figure it out but right yeah if down, anyone watching right, has a you know a farm you know right in right right sure. down right down homer street right or hastings in vancouver that's like the the popular how, promo how street. is the how uh, street there you go notorious shout like out to all the how offices talk to a, a broker <laughs> yeah yeah how street <laughs> broker is not something you want to say uh if you're <laughs> going through new york that's for sure <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think the, actually the best thing to happen out of the plant-based space was that's how Kevin and I met. We met on a plant-based yeah. deal actually way back. Uh, that's true. During the, the, the heyday. Um, yeah. So that, that turned out well, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think we're saying as a trend, you know, this has probably shifted. I think at the end of the day though, is how these companies are set up. I'm still, um, I'm still a private holder. I think of two plant-based companies. Um, one I'm not expecting much from, but the other one is actually vertically integrated, a company called Above Foods. Um, mm. Did them in mid-2020, late 2020, probably. What I like about them is, guess what? They're vertically integrated plant-based company and they do CPG. So let's not go crazy, guys. Like, it's still vegetables at its core. As long as like, yeah, like a Beyond Meat product that is, you know, maybe a bunch of stuff that's artificial and not good for you. Um, investing in a company out of Saskatchewan that also has a bunch of grain and vegetables and produce and can convert that into CPG on shelves doesn't have to just go to a plant-based consumer and guys, I, I eat vegetables. So I think that's still important. I think feeding the world is important. There's more people being born. So I don't want to, let's say, say every plant quote unquote plant-based company isn't great but if you're looking at the supply chain itself and you found companies that had kind of access to their own farming i think that that's interesting mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, let's I, say from I'm uh, full that I'm okay full dan that, you never believed in plant-based stocks but i'm i but believe I'm sure in CPGs, you could agree though. that okay and CPGs, you also that... believe that over that period you could have made a lot could have or maybe did make a lot of money on the plant-based stocks regardless of your opinion fair yeah i think so i mean it was definitely like if you you knew the business and like you just even looking at some of the charts like yeah like there was some some great returns there um it's just if you're trading it probably makes sense i just you know from a cpg side that's a space where there's a lot of activity happening right now uh, that are private deals, um, you know, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name names here yet, but I've got a good friend right now. They're, they're working on a CPG company. They're really gonna take that thing public once they hit, you know, a hundred million run rate and that's gonna happen. And that's all vegan products. Like, I think that's nice. great stuff. There's demand for that stuff. But, you know, to, to Pete's earlier point, it's like, what, it, what is the trend, right? And they always say, yeah, the trend mm -hmm. is your friend, but for how long, you know what I mean? So Until it isn't. No, <laughs> yeah. it's, exactly. So like, you can't really, time it i think you have to have as much information as both of you have like with uh the, those plant those two plant-based deals that you were talking about made money congratulations on to the next one yeah so the reason i kind of teed you up like that dan is because going back to trend tracker here let's just say purely as a trade let's talk about following that trend like how would you know to get in and out 
of that trend successfully. Now, anecdotally, I see things like Pete, you mentioned that Netflix documentary, um, that coming out game changers being extremely popular, looking at obviously just the clear rollouts of plant-based into fast food chains like A&W and Wendy's and McDonald's, et cetera. So there's some kind of things like that you could have seen and been like, okay, maybe this is a trend. I can feel it. But Pete, could you add data to that? Like what would you look for if you wanted to spot an upcoming trend like that? On on one of the plant-based stocks in particular? That's just being an example. Just as an example. Hopefully oh, yeah. Apply so, that to other things. I mean, I think as people continue to watch along and if someone's actually watching an hour into this, I commend you and uh, <laughs> feel free to hit us up for direct personal advice. We appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button. I think button. there's a big mix. I, yeah. Hit, hit yeah. the subscribe <laughs> button. And uh, if you're still watching, you'll get a one-on-one coaching from Trend Tracker. Feel yeah. free to, to tune in. Yeah. Um, I think there's a big thing in, in my investing that I do. I fundamentally believe a lot of things still fall into a type of decision-making funnel where the first is awareness, the middle is consideration, right? And then at the bottom of that funnel, you're kind of making a decision and you became a customer or purchaser of something. So again, on that kind of perfect storm, you had that awareness come in from something like a Netflix. And then the middle, you had that consideration. Well, that's trust factors. Your friends are telling you about it. You're seeing good news. You're seeing good PR. You're seeing good studies about how this is healthy for you and it can reduce all these bad things for you. And then you become a purchaser. So that's really what I do. And I look at a lot of those awareness things, those top, what I call top of funnel consumer demands. Um, And there's a lot of great tools out there working in the digital advertising space myself. I have access to some, some paid tools that really let me see some things and see under the hood of popular sites. But Google trends is a great spot to start seeing what the world and what country is searching for and how often they're searching for it. And is it, if it's going the right way, then, you know, it, it doesn't give sentiment. So take that with a grain of salt that a big spike could actually be bad mm-hmm. things. So double check that and then work your way down, read reviews, read how people are talking about it, understanding what the consumer is doing and then start using, you know, some, some logic on that. And that, that really is how I look at a lot of consumer demand and then, from there, start looking at some companies and then tap uh, Mr. Fundamentals on the shoulder and be like, does this thing have a chance? Or if you're looking for a trades, tap a small cap on the shoulder and say, what's going on here? Is this hot? Um, and if you're really advanced, um, really understand start how to read SEC filings or, um, or in Canada, Cedar. And, and learn how to read a cap table because that can be super important, especially if you're looking for more of a, a trade. Yeah, especially if you're looking at the junior stuff, cap table is cap table one. is clutch. We don't want a hundred million shares out. <laughs> yeah, we'll do yeah. an educational segment all about share structure. If anybody really wants to learn, <laughs> it's a dense, dense, dense subject, but arguably the most important if you're trading penny stocks or anything junior. Well, boys, we're coming up on an hour here. I think we got through all the topics I was looking at. Uh, Slightly shorter podcast today. I think we're okay with that. Um, This was episode number four, Beyond the Edge podcast. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in. This was a fun chat. For those of you new to the channel, subscribe. We release, we film these every Thursday, release every Sunday. If you're in our Sunday Snapshot email newsletter, you'll get a direct link to the episode there. Otherwise, find it here on YouTube or our socials on Instagram at edge.investments. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in. Hope you had a good holidays. We're back at it. Happy New Year, gents. Awesome.